Hey everyone, I'm Allison Berenger and welcome back to The Intern. Hope you got my little update from the other week. So without apologizing, as Grandpa instructed, I want to briefly tell you a little bit about why I've been struggling to get these episodes out. I've got my amazing editor slash advisor, Caitlin, but on a day-to-day basis, it's still just me working on this. And as I try to take on bigger subjects, that's becoming more of a problem. From my very first days in the tech world, I've been wanting to do an episode about the underrepresentation of women, of minorities, of LGBTQ, of a lot of groups in the tech world. There are thousands of stories out there, told and untold, about diversity in tech, and I really want to do justice to all of them, which is what I've been trying to do all these weeks. But what I've realized is that I can't tell all the stories, hit all the angles. I know I'm going to miss stuff, so I'm just going to do what I know how to do. And that's to tell my story with as much help from other people as I can get. The story begins a few months ago. Betaworks announces that it's going to be doing a summer incubator called BotCamp. That's B-O-T, Bot, as in Siri or Amazon Alexa. I'll get more into that in a sec, but what's especially interesting to me about BotCamp is that this is the first time that Betaworks has ever put out an open application like this. Betaworks does get cold calls, but for the most part, the companies that they invest in are the ones that come in through their network, someone with a connection or an introduction to get in the door. But not this time. BotCamp is totally open. Anyone can apply. And so that got me thinking, what a great opportunity to increase diversity here. It's a pretty striking thing to walk into Betaworks from the streets of New York, and I imagine that it's like this in a lot of tech offices around the city. Here we are in the capital of the world, where a quarter of the population is black, a quarter is Hispanic, but when I look around the office, that's not reflected here. And when I think back to my year teaching in the city, that difference is even more pronounced. At the same time, what I hear around the office is that this is way better than other tech companies. And it's true, when I started here, I noticed the open culture and how there are lots of LGBTQ people and how there are more women than I expected. When you take a closer look, say you peek into the weekly meeting of management and leadership, there's only one or two women. So in my time at Betaworks, I've only had a couple conversations with John, the CEO. Not that he's unapproachable, it's just that it seems like he's always busy. But I had one question that I really wanted an answer to. Do you have to put it like right in my face like that? Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Okay. That way when people listen, they feel like you're right in there. Oh, okay. Good. Um, so, John, this is uh, your first time being recorded for the podcast. It's first time on the intern. And so I get a meeting with the CEO, not to be confused with my boss, James, the other Brit with a J name. So do you want to start and tell me why now? Why bot camp? Sure. So why bot? Um, you know, for uh, a little bit over a year now, we've been doing a, a bunch of work looking at how uh, people are changing their use and their application of mobile. You know, early on in 2015, we saw that people were just using apps less and less. We chat a bit about his philosophy around bots, and then I ask him the question that I'm really wondering about. Um, I'm curious what your what the strategy was going in in making sure that you guys are getting a diverse applicant pool, people with different backgrounds who can build stuff for everyone. The way I think about this question is fairly simply is that I want to attract the the best creative minds into 
the things that we do at Betaworks. And I know that since we're, since we're attracting primarily builders, engineers, uh, there's going to be a natural bias towards male versus female. It'll be fairly diverse in terms of, of color, in terms of country or origin, but there's going to be a gender bias there because you go to the schools and there's a gender bias in schools. That's where the problem really needs to be addressed, mm-hmm. right? Because if you, if you try and address it at the recruiting level just you are never going to be able to get to the underlying issue, which is an educational and cultural issue. Right. But I think that it's not just an education issue. I think that it's, I mean, just as we're seeing here, you know, because I think what's really interesting about BotCamp versus the way things normally work at Betaworks, it's like kind of closed and stuff. There's not necessarily just one open application thing. Like this is the first time you've done something like this, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so there's this potential to get in people from all different backgrounds, um, if you just put your hands up and say, all right, who comes to us, comes to us, and you're not specifically reaching out to female engineering groups, or you're not specifically reaching out to people of color in tech, then you're doing the company a disservice, but then also um, just kind of like perpetuating the status quo. I, I think you're right. I think that the context, though, that these things come up in, so in the case of Barcamp, um in typical sort of tech startup fashion, you know, the moment we had the idea, we wanted to push into execution as fast as possible. And so, you know, our natural inclination, um, you know, whenever you're in this business, you always opt for speed first. And sort of the design criteria or the criteria of like trying to widen the pool, I think, comes in as a secondary criteria. Um, but I think that definitely reaching out to um, uh, to diverse networks is something that I'd love to do in the future. It's hard to do. Hard to do. This is what I keep hearing. And I totally get that. I would never say it's an easy problem to solve. But to be honest, I left this conversation kind of disappointed. I feel like this was such a good chance to do something proactive about diversity. So if you follow this stuff at all, you'll know that every year, big tech companies profess their dedication to diversity. Companies like Twitter, Airbnb, Google, Uber, Facebook. Just last week, Facebook released its latest diversity report. Only 2% of its U.S. workforce is black, and only 4 is Hispanic. And when it comes to technical workers like developers, only 1% is black, 3% Hispanic. And what's crazy is that not only are these stats low, they're exactly the same as the numbers they reported in 2015 and 2014. They haven't changed. And this is pretty much the story across most tech companies. And to top it all off, the report includes a statement from Facebook essentially blaming their problem on the quote-unquote pipeline and the public education system. I know it probably sounds like I'm picking on tech, There are plenty of other industries that need to get their shit together, like Hollywood, for example. Um, But I am picking on tech, and here's the reason. If there's one thing I've learned from my time at Betaworks, it's that tech is everywhere. It's becoming everything. Tech is increasingly defining our culture, how we communicate, commute. It has a ton of power. And if the group of people setting the course for our future is mostly white and male, well, that's a problem. That evening, after work, I get on my bike and ride home, along the route my legs have memorized. First, by the Whitney Museum, then cut across through the West Village. I fly down Thompson with One World Trade ahead of me. 
then through Little Italy, where sidewalks overflow with couples around white cloth tables. Across Chinatown, I take in the swirl of scents and markets, avoiding potholes and pedestrians. The small park is packed with evening exercisers. Then up, up onto the Manhattan Bridge. And then I start thinking about my own problems, namely how I need to get this episode out. Everyone talks about consistency being super important when you're making a podcast. And so every time I see a new episode of other podcasts drop into my feed, the anxiety builds. I had actually hired a good friend of mine, Camila, to help me through episode five and six, but then she left the country for a month before she starts journalism school. So I really need to hire a new assistant right away. When I get home, I shoot off an email with a job posting. And then a few days later, I make a phone call. Hello. Hey, Maya. Great. How are you? I'm good. I'm sure you remember Maya, my go-to woman for all things tech. She actually left Betaworks to work at Anchor, that Twitter for audio app. Anchor was so successful in their first week that they just couldn't do it all themselves and ask Maya to help them. And then by the end of the week, they had offered her a job. This kind of thing happens a lot between companies in the Betaworks network. So anyway, I call up Maya early in the morning for some advice on hiring I tell her how I emailed this listserv that I'm on, it's radio and podcasting people in New York City, how I got over 30 responses, how I whittled it down to five. I've never interviewed someone before. So if you have any ways to approach it. So usually the way it works is like, I'll do a first phone interview, which is sort of like a culture screen, which is just like, do I like this person? Can I get along with them? Do they seem smart? She gives me a few more tips and questions to ask. Then I tell her about how this episode is about hiring and diversity and how it relates to what I'm doing. And so I've been thinking a lot about how how that happens, right? We choose people who are similar to us. And I'm trying to be, like, as fair and unbiased as possible. Um, yeah. And, like, not pick someone who I just, like, get along with or, like, is super similar to me. But at the same time, yeah, it's it's kind of essential that I get along with the person. Like, when you've been hiring, think about your own bias or... Yeah. No, no, I know. I know what you mean. Like, there's definitely that danger when you're hiring. Um, I think the trick is being aware of why you like someone. I'm by no means like an expert on hiring for diversity, because I think that was something we always struggled with at BetaWorks. Like the, the kind of person we were looking for was often a white dude who had built a startup before. So there's like inherent bias there. Um, Then we get off the topic of my hire and start talking about Betaworks and her experience doing HR. I tell her about some of the conversations I've been having around Black Camp and also about diversity in tech in general. That's not. So I definitely think education is a part of it, but I think that is becoming a bullshit excuse because like way more women have, have technical degrees. Way more women are starting companies. It's really not... It's still kind of a pipeline problem, but I, right. I think you can't say that anymore the way you could five years ago. This was the problem that I always had. So, like, as soon as I took over the HR thing, I told them, you know, part of the reason why I wanted to do the HR stuff at Betaworks was because I was like, I'm, I really believe that we can make this a more diverse place and that will make us better and stronger and make all our stuff, you know, yeah. more um, – like relevant to more people and they were like yes totally we're all about it and I was like great I was so excited to do it our biggest focus was on female managers because when you get those people in place like they can hire other women they can like mentor the women who are here and so that was our focus and it it was impossible so for example home screen was the first one that we were trying to hire a female GM for yeah and um we actually offered the home screen GM job to this amazing woman who ended up taking a product job Mm -hmm. um 
and she was so cool and she was so smart and she loved the idea and like every conversation we had with her we were like oh my god you're bringing so much to the table she was great she had never done this before so she had never run a startup she had never been like the boss at a company and we were so confident and we were like you can totally figure this out and she ended up not taking it and she wrote me this email where she was like I'm so sorry this sounds like an amazing opportunity but I just don't think I'm ready for it like I think I need more experience first before I do this kind of thing and you know, I'm, I'm going to make a generalization here, but just from my personal experience, one thing that I found is like men are so much more willing. And there's actually, I mean, there's like psychological studies right. about this, right? Where right. like men are willing to be like, sure, I can do that and figure it out as they go. And women are not or are less so. Um, and this was my personal experience too. Like when they asked me to join Glitter as a co-founder, my initial response was no. Like I was like, I, I don't know how to do that. I think that was like a major realization for me. So I started talking to John and Josh and Sam about it. And I was like, I think what we need to do is better educate people about what it means to be a GM or like a leader at Betaworks. Betaworks more than anybody else, I think scares women because there's like so much less um, stability. You join a Betaworks company and basically part of your interview experience is us being like, well, you never know when a Betaworks company is going to shut down. Right. And so I wanted to do this, and we had all these plans to write all these blog posts. And um, and we wanted to do, like, a panel and, like, talk yeah. about it. And, and it just never got done. Right. Um, and part of this is because, you know, we had all this shake up with like I, I left and then came back but um the other part of the problem was it was never a priority he was like yes this is really important it's just not the most important thing right now and I was like right. I understand that like I get that it's, it doesn't feel like an urgent problem but if we don't start it's never going to happen like we have to just pick a day to do it so like at Anchor we so we've hired three people three full-time people and two contractors since yeah. I've been there part of the problem like in terms of moving quickly is yeah. we had to hire all these people urgently, which is yep. what you're going through right now too, yep. where it's like, if I find someone who's great and he's a white dude, should I not hire him? I, don't, I feel like I'm backed into a corner because every day they're like, when are we hiring a front end engineer? Like right. it's really urgent. Right. Um, it, I don't know. It's a really hard problem. It's well, it's a really hard problem, but I agree with you that if people cared enough, it's something we could solve. We finish up the conversation and then I start my phone interviews. Okay. Knowing full well that my applicant pool is not very diverse. Also knowing that by the end of the day, I need to make my decision. Hey, Allison. Hey, Eric. How's it going? Hello. Hey, Jesse. How are you? Good. Grant, how are you doing? Hello, this is Allison. Hey, Allison. This is other Allison. Tell me about what you've been up to the past couple years. For the last 10 years, I worked uh, in nonprofit and public education. And putting together this passion project became and then I've had this job. very amateur podcast called Not Living What editing software do you typically use? I'm really proficient with Reaper. I'm interested because I want to get into producing. Like my ultimate goal is just to be making cool, weird, narrative pieces. Um, and then did you say, would you be able to work, um, start pretty much as soon as possible? Yep, I can start immediately. Okay, okay, great. I finished the calls feeling totally overwhelmed. What if I picked the wrong person? I don't have time to go back and do any more interviews. There's definitely strengths for each of them, but one person sticks out, and I asked them to meet me for coffee. Yeah, I mean, I I just, like, basically wanted to get to know you and, like, meet you in person, but I'd love to work with you. I would love to work with you, too. Great. Okay. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Um, Cool. Okay, so what is your schedule like tomorrow? And with that, I hired Jesse. Someone like me who is white, straight, a woman, and, yep, who used to be a teacher, just like me. 
So here I am critiquing Baydorks in the tech industry and on this mission to call attention to something that I think is a big problem. But admittedly, I just kind of fell into some of the same traps. My first hire, so to speak, was my good friend Camila. And then my next hire was someone very similar to me that was in my network. And so I could sit here and say, well, I didn't have much time. I don't have experience hiring, blah, blah, blah. But the truth is I'm part of the system. And now to the part of the show where I cook a blue apron meal with my lovely roommate, Avery. Okay, Avery, what do we have this evening with Blue Apron? We have shrimp and squidding spaghetti with summer vegetables and mint. All right, the things we need to do to prep is cut the corn kernels off the cob, core and dice the tomato, pick the mint leaves off the stems, add the garlic and the corn, season with salt and pepper. Oh, it's so fresh and summery. Here comes the squidding spaghetti. Ooh, this looks so good. Mm. The mint really makes it. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like we cook together at the same time or eat kind of overlapping, but it's nice to cook with someone, sit down, share a meal. So if you want to also share a meal with your significant other or lovely roommate, <laughs> <laughs> go to blueapron.com slash intern and get your first two meals for free. Maybe I can just be your significant other. Yeah, you can be my significant other. <laughs> That's blueapron.com slash intern to get your first two meals for free. All right, back to the show. So to go big picture on diversity and inclusion, on the one hand, you have hiring, and on the other hand, you have culture. So in other words, getting into the industry or a company is one thing, but what happens on the other side of it once you're in? What I'm talking about here is the often crappy experience of not being part of the majority in the workplace. Have you ever been the only person of your race in a room or the only person of your gender or sexual orientation? If you've never thought about this before, it's because you've never had to. Privilege can make us ignorant. Terry Burns just graduated from college this spring with a degree in computer science, and Terry will be starting as an associate product manager at Twitter this fall. I was at Facebook London about a year ago for just like a a tech talk that they had, like an open night where like people could come in and I was there by myself and the room is of course full of like, you know, white dudes exclusively. So I stick out like a sore thumb being like a very tall black woman and this guy comes up to me. It's like, it's like comical at this point, but he's like talking to me, like being very friendly and he just goes you know, you look really different from everyone else in this room. I'm not sure if you noticed. And I just kind of look at him and he's like, I mean, I'm just saying, like, I would love to take you out sometime and and hear about, like, why are you here? Like, just why? Like, why are you here? And he was actually, like, trying to compliment me and kind of hit on me a little bit. But it was so absurd and so offensive and also just absurd. Like, yes, thank you, white man, for pointing out that I look different as if, you know, I didn't notice that myself. But stuff like that happens all the time. 
My story, I, I think, is a little bit different. Um, I didn't go into college really knowing what I wanted to do. And the spring of my my freshman year, um, I really wanted to have an internship. And so I just applied for a program at Google um, called Building Opportunities for Leadership and Development. And it was a program targeted towards um, minorities and underrepresented groups, basically to bring in a group of students to learn more about what it's like to work at Google. And so I got into that and basically went to Google that summer for I think it was a little bit over a week and got really interested in technology and that fall decided to take my first computer science class and the rest is history. We start talking about why and how diversity among employees makes your company or product better and examples of what happens when you don't have a diverse team. Here's my personal favorite. In 2014, Apple released its health tracker app at their big annual conference. It syncs with other health apps, it tracks your blood pressure, your steps, your magnesium intake, like everything, all right on your phone. But there's one thing that they missed. Can you guess? It's something that 50% of the population has been tracking, probably for all of time. Something that is essential to the future of the human race. Periods. Tracking your menstrual cycle. And there's actually a lot of apps that already do this. But Apple totally missed it. I think that, you know, there's been countless examples of, you know, technologies or features or products that have rolled out that have offended huge groups of people. Um, I don't know if if you heard about this, but um, there was like the image recognition that Google released and um, it was actually tagging black people um, as a certain animal. I, I don't want to get into the specifics too much because it affected a friend of mine and it was exclusively happening to black people. And that was really offensive because whereas people with fairer skin were accurately being tagged as people, black people were being tagged as animals. And that's something where if you had a couple of black engineers in the room who could test out the product for you, could have been totally avoided. So I'm sure you're a very highly sought after um, what was your thought process for picking a company that you wanted to work for? I knew I wanted to go into product management, so I definitely was thinking about products that I knew and loved, um, of which Twitter was actually on the top of the list. And then from there, I was thinking about inclusion and diversity, about um, places where I would feel comfortable, about places where I feel like my voice would be heard. Um, Interestingly enough, I mean, admittedly, Twitter doesn't have the best reputation for inclusion and diversity. But when I actually went to go interview there, I had really, really amazing and organic conversations with a lot of people at Twitter um, who basically said to me, yeah, we have a lot to work on and we realize that we have a lot to work on and bringing you in is one of the ways that we're going to try and work on some of the problems that we have because we know that you have a lot of value a lot of insight and a lot of things to say and we want to listen to what you have to say um and i felt that message was sent to me more than any other company and and that's the reason why i decided to work at twitter i also just love solving problems and so i love the idea that they're really transparent about hey we have problems that we want to solve and i'm excited to work on them Um, but also they were very much like we want to hear what you have to say did that make you were you at all nervous that like I don't know I I read a lot about like you know like having to do the work do like extra work to explain to people (laughs) did you feel like that that was maybe gonna happen um a little bit sure um 
I don't know. I I've it's something that I've kind of accepted. Like if that's the case, um, I was able to speak with the Blackbirds, which is like the group of people who work at Twitter um, who are black. And so I was able to chat with a lot of them, speak with other, you know, people at Twitter who are are women, who are underrepresented minorities. So even if, you know, it does kind of become in certain situations, me having to do the work, quote unquote, I also know that there's going to be a really great support system behind me as well. Yeah. And can you explain what you mean by the work? I think you'd probably be able to articulate that better than I could. Yeah, for sure. So the idea behind it is that if you are, you know, one of the only minorities in a certain environment, having to do the work is basically having the burden of teaching other people about diversity and inclusion and what microaggressions are and why certain things might be offensive. And I think that being the only in any given circumstance, um, having to do the work for that can be really overwhelming at times. And it can also be really exhausting which is something that a lot of people choose not to do. That's why a lot of people who I know who, you know, are in my networks or who I've spoken to would never, at least, you know, right now are at this point in their lives, you know, want to work at a place where they're the minority because they don't want to do the work. And that's a decision that I've always understood and completely respected because it's not something that should be put upon anyone. Um, But sometimes, you know, the work has to happen. And if you're the person willing to do it, which if it comes to it, I think I would be. um, That's okay with me. So on the one hand, Terry's story makes me feel really hopeful about things getting better. Her summer program at Google that introduced her to tech, her impressions of Twitter. But I also came away from talking to her feeling really riled up like her story about the Facebook event. During my research for this episode, people have told me so many stories like this one and worse, but most are worried and understandably so about going on the record. There's also tons of people who have gone on the record and at great personal risk told their stories. And so it's like, how can we hear these stories and not think that we have so much to work on? I think, too, this shows just how wide of a gulf there is between people in power and conversations amongst people of color, women, and other underrepresented groups. And so I'm still left with all these thoughts and questions about diversity and inclusion in tech. So I wanted to talk to someone who really knows their stuff. And Anil Dash was pretty much the first person I thought of. Anil's got half a million Twitter followers and has devoted his career to diversity and inclusion in tech. I'll start with this question that I keep turning over and over in my head. Why do tech leaders say that diversity is important, but don't actually make it a priority? It was uh, almost heartbreaking, I think about two years ago, when I realized, God, some of these guys are just straight up lying. They're saying we care about diversity and they don't. If you said, oh, Snapchat keeps going down, it was down for two hours and people couldn't look at their snaps and they couldn't post anything. And the CEO came out and said, yeah, we care about people using Snapchat. And that was it. And you never heard anything from it again until somebody else a year later at another conference was like, what are you doing about making sure Snapchat's available to people? And they're like, oh, we're working on it. You know, it's not a priority, but we're working on it. And we've hired one person in charge of uptime and they're going to fix Snapchat. Um, You would, I mean, well, one, you would lose your job. Two, your board will hold you accountable. Your investors would hold you accountable. Three, your users would leave, right? And so it's it's plainly obvious that 
most of the people who say, who are executives, who are leaders, who are in charge, who say they care about inclusion, don't. And the, the proof is in we know what it looks like when they care about something. There is a, a valid and legitimate fear from people who are not versed in these things about like, oh, I, I can't talk about it. And it's funny because, I mean, in tech, that's true of everything. If I say, I know how to code, you know, in, in Python or JavaScript, and you're like, no, you just don't know enough and you should go learn. But when the same thing happens around inclusion, where it's like, well, you're not technically qualified, go read the manual, uh, people take it as much more of an affront. For inclusion, which is a practice and a mature field and has experts and there are experienced people who are good at it, um, everybody feels like, well, I have an opinion is sort of enough to show up and be an expert on it. And, and I think that's... That conversation, when you see those sort of prickly, uncomfortable, challenging, um, and people that are privileged pushing back, like those are the signs that it's working. And people are like, oh, God, that sounds like a, that's messy and that's scary. And we're like, what do you mean that's success? And um, I, I think there's a real reluctance to embrace that kind of complexity. And people are afraid of it and uncomfortable with it, unfamiliar with it. But that's what um, that's what progress actually looks like. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't. It's sort of like you know, if you're repairing the highways, for a while it looks like everything got ripped up and and you can't drive over it and, and things look messy. And it's like, well, that's what it takes to rebuild. Well, that's encouraging to hear that when people push back, it means that there's progress. Yeah. One thing that I've been running into is in conversations again, just like with people around the office, whatever. We're kind of having the back and forth about this, and I'll say something like. Well, you know, like our society is structurally racist, mm. and they're like, "Well, that's an opinion." Yeah. And it makes me question my own beliefs, but I'm also like, people are just seeing things differently. Like, I don't know. I studied sociology. I've worked in a lot of different places, and and I believe to be truth that society is set up to advantage yeah. and disadvantage certain people. But I don't think that people believe that. Well. Um... Yeah. You know, the only people that don't believe society is structurally biased is the people who benefit from it. If we talk about legacy admissions to universities and they say we privilege explicitly families who have been, you know, alumni of this university. And then you say also the same institution would not allow non-white applicants until a few decades ago. It's obvious, clear structural racism. I talk to people I, I think of as good people who I want to have over to my house for dinner and have them say that to my face and say, you know, my family, so many families lived this. You know, my father came to this country in the early 60s and lived in the Jim Crow South and couldn't get his hair cut, you know, at the salons, you know, the barbershop that he went to. And so, like, the like this is a really, really lived reality. And um, to have somebody that you respect and care about say to your face, like, no, I don't care that this happened to you and your family, is, uh, there's no words for it. You know, to go up to somebody and be like, I'm a person, I exist, my experiences are real, and I shouldn't be treated unkindly and unfairly, and have somebody say, let's have a debate about it. And I was like, my God, that's, uh, it's just dehumanization. It's a relatively recent thing for me, but I'm done with the debate. I'm not arguing for my humanity or the humanity of others against people who want to deny facts anymore. There is a, I wouldn't say a valid argument, an understandable one, which is about ignorance. I think, th I think it's very possible to get a robust and well-respected 
computer science degree while being completely illiterate in structural racism. I agree with these ideas in theory, but then I tell them about my own hiring situation and the challenge that I think a lot of early stage companies share of needing to hire really quickly. What like action steps could you take? Mm-hmm. I, I was at a loss for yeah. like what to do. Right. So I think the first thing that's missing is there is a lack of infrastructure. I mean, most people's social networks are um, fairly homogenous. They're like themselves. There's almost always a parallel community for underrepresented folks in every discipline. And it's like going and finding it. Building up relationships over time, I, I think, is is the most important thing. And it's um, it's also its own reward. You know, it's funny because I always feel like I'm talking about it like it's homework. And it's like... You're just making friends. Like there's not, you know, yeah. like there, are, there is, there's no burden to meeting people who are different and learning about their experiences. It is a delight and a joy and a privilege. Uh, even if you see those things, even if you see a job listing coming or you're, you're you know, uh, an underrepresented person, you're on these mailing lists lurking, you see a job posting go across, you'll probably go and check the about page for the company. I mean, I, every friend I know does this. It's like, you look at the about page and you're like, Am I going to be the only person there that's not white? Like, I'm not going to apply there. One, like, that doubles the work I'm doing at work, right? Because it's this whole other thing that I have to deal with that is like a stress and a pressure. And two, like, what are the odds they're not just giving lip service to this? Mm-hmm. It's really hard to know. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like you don't see a commitment. You don't, like, you haven't earned credibility. You're like, well, maybe this organization doesn't care about it. I'm not going to be the one to help them because then I have two jobs right. and I'm only getting paid for one. So, Pipeline matters, but I think it's also a way of foisting the problem off on the next generation. Because the best case scenario for, you know, we train a, a, a girl to code today is, you know, she's seven years old and in 15 years she gets into the workforce and she's been learning to code her whole life and she's great at it and she's got her college degree and she goes to this company and there are no women in management and no women mentoring her and she comes in at the bottom of this organization and is stuck. Like that's what the default scenario looks like for where the pipeline leads today. And so we have to do a lot more work a lot more quickly. The other thing is pipeline is this promise that we're going to invest in training and teaching. We can do that today with adults. There are so many people who are who really care and can't speak up because they've got families to support and lives to live and they've got to pay the rent. Um and I think about that a lot, about how do we open up a space to have the conversation. But a lot of this does come down to holding leaders accountable. Like, I, I don't know how we, um, how we get people over the hump in every case to say, yeah. go from, I care about this time, doing something about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of it has to come from, like... When somebody says, yeah, we care about diversity, we care about inclusion, pushing harder on like, I believe you. I believe you. I believe you do. I believe you care. Show me. Inclusion is about vulnerability. And it's about admitting wrongs and about acknowledging broken systems. Um, I think it's really hard. And like, we don't have a way to say, I wish my CEO would be more vulnerable, (laughs) right? This is a crazy thing to say because nobody ever talks about managing a company this way. But, like, how do you make a culture that is ready for vulnerability around really important moral issues? Um, And then say, what can we do culturally that changes things? 
It's day one of bot camp, and I'm about to meet everyone for the first time. To be honest, I have no idea what the makeup of these eight companies is going to be. So I'm pleasantly surprised when I sit in on the introductions. <laughs> just gonna say welcome, everybody. Thanks for to, to bot camp. Uh, you know, just gonna do some introductions as well as kind of thank. Out of the eight companies, there's three teams led by women. Three teams have founders from outside the country. And there's one team with two black founders. As I'm sitting here, I also reflect on the fact that in a lot of ways, I am not your typical tech bro. Betaworks took a quote-unquote risk on me. Totally outside the network and the tech world. I'm a woman, younger, a former teacher. And going off of Neil's point about vulnerability, there's the fact that Betaworks is open to me publishing this episode and talking about this. You know, I've been looking for a ribbon, something that I can use to tie up this episode with a neat little bow. But with this topic, there isn't one grand conclusion. It's an ongoing conversation. And I really think there is so much to be gained from talking about it and even more from listening. And ultimately, I think that shift in perspective and understanding, that is what is going to lead to action. All right, all right. You want a checklist, don't you? Here are just a few of the many things you can do if you want to make your company more diverse. One, check out Project Include. I've found it to be the most comprehensive resource out there for very actionable solutions for tech companies. Two, explicitly state on your website and job postings that you're working on diversity. You're committed to it, like Twitter did for Terry. Three, donate your time and resources to programs like Black Girls Code or Coalition for Queens, a New York-based program for adults. Check out sites like Hire Tech Ladies that'll connect you with people outside your network. Five, practice the Rooney Rule, where you interview at least one person from an underrepresented background for every senior position. Six, set goals and track your progress. And I think that the most important thing is to just never be complacent or think the work is done. This episode was produced by me, Allison Berenger. Caitlin Prest is my editorial advisor. Jesse Carrier is the production assistant. Huge shout out to all my friends and coworkers who offered feedback and suggestions on this episode. Could not have done it without you. Big thanks also to John Borthwick and to my boss, James, for your openness. The music in today's episode comes from Upright T-Rex, Fields, Ohio, The Insider, and Aaron Barra. If you feel like you could have listened to Anil Dash for another hour, you're in luck because I got to and I'm publishing the full interview with him. We go really in depth on a lot of these issues and I strongly encourage you to listen to the whole thing. Links to that and additional diversity resources are in the show notes. There are so many aspects of this topic that I just couldn't fit into the episode. And if you want to talk more or share your ideas, tweet at me at albtweetin, that's A-L-B-T-W-E-E-T-I-N, or email me, allison at theintern.fm. And thanks so much for all of you that have reached out on Twitter or email or Instagram. Your words go a long way and really mean a lot. One last thing. Next episode will be the final one of the season. I'll be telling you then more about what's to come. I'm Allison Berenger, and this is The Intern. I've learned a lot about the business world. Well, I bet you have. <laughs> Mostly that the whole world is just run by money. <clears throat> well, congratulations. You've learned something important. <laughs>
<laughs> Everything I think about, I'm like, man, capitalism. Yep. And yeah. I always knew that. I knew that, but I but hadn't like seen it. You knew it in theory. Now you know it in the real world. <laughs>